It's Twin Bills, the Red Sox podcast from the sports department of the Providence Journal, featuring Red Sox beat writer Bill Koch, along with sports editor Bill Corey. Now, Twin Bills. Hello and welcome to this week's Twin Bills Red Sox podcast. This is Bill Corey, sports editor of the Providence Journal. With us is sports writer Bill Koch. Bill, uh, it is hazy, hot, humid, and the Red Sox are fighting for their postseason lives as we speak. Uh, Boston is sitting in, uh, I want to say, third place in the American League East. Correct. Uh, the, uh, the Rays are four games ahead of the New York Yankees. The Red Sox are six and a half games behind the Rays. Uh, and uh, the Toronto Blue Jays, who were kind of bunched up, have sort of fallen off now with 12 games out of the division. So uh, it, it really does look like it's going to be a, a three-man race for uh, the, the division title and for the wild card. And right now, the two wild card teams would be the Red Sox and the Yankees, of all, of all people. Yeah, uh, sign up for uh, Red Sox <laughs> at New York in the Bronx. Yeah. Uh, I think the game's on October 5th would be the wild card. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Wow. So we are fast approaching. The Red Sox are 72 and 55. They have, I want to say, 35 games left in the schedule. Correct. Uh, and, uh, Bill, they are uh, playing the Fighting Baldellis again tonight. Yes. Uh, who have a little less fight in them this year than they have in the past. And you wrote about that in today's uh, newspaper and on the website that our, our, uh, our favorite. Uh, uh, Minnesota twin manager, and that is Rocco Baldelli of of Bishop Hendrickson and Rhode Island fame, uh, is not having the kind of year that he has had in recent years uh, with the twins not really being a factor this season. Yeah, I would say his team is still fighting. I, I think he's doing a fair bit of fighting, though, with uh, the reserve unit uh, and not necessarily with the Navy <laughs> SEALs or, or the yeah, Rangers. Yeah, they, um, they, they're sort of beat up, and uh, they, they dealt away probably their best pitcher at the, at the deadline as well. Certainly the best pitcher, Jose Barrios, goes to the Blue Jays. Uh, you all also trade Nelson Cruz to the Rays. Yep. Um, you've got significant guys on the injured list, whether it's Byron Buxton, Taylor Rogers, who, who's a stud out of the bullpen, uh, Alex Kirilov, who, who's an outfielder, a very highly regarded project, uh, prospect. Um, you know, so Minnesota pretty much doing what the Red Sox did last year, acknowledging that they're not contending. Uh, you know, they're at the bottom of the AL Central. Um, you know, and sort of turning the page forward to 2022, 2023. Yep. They've got some salary coming off the books this offseason. Uh, you know, they could potentially make a run at trying to extend Buxton, make him their centerpiece. Um, you know, could get out into the free agent market and, and try to find some guys to plug some holes. Um, you know, but this was certainly a, a move to the future. They added four top 20 prospects to their system. Um, you know, and, and I think, uh, you know, just speaking a little bit with Rocco Baldelli on, on Tuesday, I, I think he's pretty realistic about the situation. He, he's looking at it as a chance over the last six weeks or so for some player development mm-hmm. at the major league level uh, to throw some young guys out there and, and see what they have. Um, you know, and certainly they gave the Red Sox all they could handle uh, on Tuesday night in the opener of that three-game series at Fenway. It's a new spot a little bit for Rocco, right? He's been, uh, you know, he's been the uh, the darling of the American League uh, in terms of managers in the last couple of years because he's had such great success at, at a young age, obviously had a very good, uh, although shortened, uh, major league career, spent uh, most of it with uh, Tampa Bay, did spend some time with uh, with his hometown team in the Red Sox. Uh, but uh, this year he is he's, uh, managing a team that is sort of looking for, the, definitely looking to the future. And how did you find him? him sort of because uh, you've talked to him when they were sort of riding high and this year it's it's uh, they're riding low you know 
I, I thought he said all the right things. I, I feel like um, you know the message that I tried to get across in that piece, and, and I, I think it should be pretty clear to anyone, is Rocco didn't all of a sudden forget how to manage. Right. That, that's not what happened <laughs> yeah. here. Um, you know, he's the youngest AL manager of the year in 2019. Right. The Twins win 100 games for just the second time in franchise history. The only other time was in 1965. They were in the World Series against the Dodgers. They lost to Sandy Koufax, who right. was brilliant in that series. But that goes all the way back to 1901 when they were founded as the Washington Senators. Um, so for Rocco to win 100 games in his managerial debut and then to follow that up by winning the AL Central again in sure. a short in 2020 shows that he has some chops if, if you have veteran pieces. Um, you know, now he's dealing with a roster that, that is much younger, mm-hmm. uh, much less accomplished. Um, you know, and you're going to get to see now if he has that sort of managerial second gear that I think you've seen guys sustain themselves over long careers, someone like Jim Leland, someone like Bobby Cox, mm. um, you know, who not only can manage the teams they're supposed to win with, yeah. but also maybe bring through some prospects and turn them into that next team you're supposed to win with. You like to think, or at least I like to think, that when you're managing in a place like Minnesota that may not be uh, as high pressure as managing in Boston or Philly or New York, that you might get a little bit longer leash. No and, question. And the fact that you've had a kind of uh, early success, I think, uh, gives you, a, 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 a hopefully, a, a larger window and more opportunities. Uh, but yeah, it must be, uh, you know, it must be tough for Twins and their fans to see uh, that team, having been so good in the last couple of years, be not so good this year. But, um, you know, th- those uh, those moves that they made, I think, are all with the uh, with the thought in mind that hey, next year we're going to get our some of our veterans, our, our better players back. Uh, we've got some really good talent that's right now on the IL, uh, and we can make another run at it. Although I I would much rather make a run with uh, Jose Berrios on my pitching staff than <laughs> yeah. him pitching for the Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah, you're looking at what they traded him for. Uh, Austin Martin, who projects as a shortstop, he was the fifth overall <clears throat> pick in the 2020 draft. Uh, Simeon Woods Richardson, who's actually been the centerpiece in two trades now. Um, you know, moved from the Mets to the Blue Jays in the Marcus Stroman deal mm. in 2019. Uh, now he goes to the Twins with Martin for Barrios. Uh, you added two right-handers from Tampa Bay who both pitched in AAA this year, uh, Joe Ryan and, and Drew Strotman. Um, you know, so you hope that those guys are close and, and that could give you some major league pitching depth as you go into 2022. And, um, you know, they, they're – interesting type guys you know fringy sort of projectable like bottom of the rotation starters um you know you add them to to what they already have and and you just hope that ultimately it comes together but you know you made the point minnesota's a mid-market type team um you know not necessarily built spending to win every single year um you know it's not boston it's not new york it's not los angeles um, you know, so I, I would certainly think that, that Rocco, you know, is going to be given some latitude here. You, you would think he's going to get another two to three years to, to see, you know, if this roster can turn around here. Sure, sure. So let us let's turn our attention to uh, the team up the road, so to speak. Uh, Red Sox six and four in the last ten, mm. uh, sitting in third place as we mentioned. Uh, Bill, the uh, bullpen has been uh, causing some uh, some angst and some uh, some agita, some agita as of late. Uh, now they've they've pulled through in some of these games when the bullpen has kind of failed and they've been able to score late and and get some wins. But not the not the uh, not the kind of performances that are instilling you with lots of confidence as you're heading into. 
sort of the uh, the last month of the season and hopefully into the playoffs. So what do you make of uh, sort of the bullpen uh, kind of recent struggles, uh, particularly Matt Barnes uh, as of late? Um, should we just uh, all say, uh, we, you know, let's let's take it away from Barnes and give the closer role to somebody else? Like who? <laughs> like who? <laughs> right. Or uh, there's some reasons maybe why Barnes has been struggling as of late. Let, let's go back to the pre-World Series winning Red Sox in 2004. What, what was the old saying? They're killing me just like they killed my father <laughs> that's and right. my grandfather and everybody else, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you know, that's that's kind of who they've been these last couple wins. Uh, you walk off against the Rangers on a grand slam by Travis Shaw hmm. uh, in a game that you had through eight innings uh you win 11-9 against the twins on tuesday night a game that you led nine to three you led 11 to eight yeah these wins should not be this hard shouldn't be that difficult against two teams who sold at the deadline and aren't very good um but that's kind of where they're at right now that that's kind of who boston is right now they they are making the easy difficult um you know they're reminding you that you know, baseball isn't always the, the straightforward game that, that you would like it to be. Um, you know, that if you're up 38 nothing in a football game, the clock helps you at some point. <laughs> right. You don't have that in, in this. Yeah, you got to keep playing. Um, right. You know, and, and obviously the, the attention gets put on Matt Barnes, who, who is the closer, who is the high-profile guy out of that bullpen. Right, who has just uh, got an extension. Just got an, a contract extension yep. and, and will be here for at least the next two years. Uh, his last eight games, a 20.77 ERA. Wow. How's that sound? <laughs> Not good. Four and a third innings, 10 earned runs. 458 batting average against 1510 OPS against. Jeez. He's getting crushed. Right, right. Uh, he comes in Tuesday night. He gives up a leadoff, uh, a leadoff home run to Josh Donaldson. He walks the next two batters. He's gone. We go to the immortal Hansel Robles to, to bail this one out. Right. Uh, and somehow he retires all three batters he faces, yeah. uh, which was a pleasant surprise and very much needed. Um, you know, you look at Barnes and, and you think. You know, here's a guy who who's lost a little bit of that confidence. I think that he showed early in the year. You know, the thing about Barnes is he really does, uh, and, and this this holds true. I think probably for every baseball player, every probably pro athlete, but particularly for closers and particularly for Matt Barnes, confidence goes such a long way with him because at the yeah. beginning of the year he looked invincible. He did. I mean, you know, he was named the closer, and and people might have been maybe like me, like I don't know if he's got the makeup, and well, sure. You know, the first three months of the year he certainly did. Uh, and then he started, you know, having these little bumps in the road. And I wonder if that, uh, you know, really kind of shakes the foundation of your confidence. And plus, you know, he's been used quite a bit. Yeah, I, I think there are a few things there. First, I, I think just the general nature of confidence, Bill. I, I think just normal human beings and, and athletes sure. especially, it's very fragile. It takes a long time to build and not much time to lose. Right. Uh, you know, it's it's scary how yeah. it works in that way. Right. It depends on the person too. Sometimes they're just people are just naturally confident, even if they don't really have a reason to be. They can be sure. kind of cocky, and that yes. that probably serves you well. And if you're the closer, um, and then there are some people, as you said, it takes for a long a long time for them to build that that confidence, and it can disappear overnight. You know, sometimes you'll you'll see hitters who who are you know career three hundred hitters, three ten hitters, right. They go 0 for 25, and all of a sudden, in a private moment off the record, they'll say, man, I'm terrible. Right. <laughs> I can't hit. I'm never going to get another hit again. Right. I, I'm the worst player on the team. I'm the worst player in the league. Right. You know, and you're thinking to yourself, this guy's played 10 years in the league. He's a 310 hitter. And he's flogging himself ver verbally here, right. saying, man, I, I stink. You know, 
golfers all the time. Pro golfers are, are amazing. Right. The, the difference between the guys who are on the PGA Tour for 20 years and, and the guys who knock it around on the Corn Ferry and, and overseas is a sliver mentally. They're all good physically. Yeah. They all have plenty of games. Just how much are you locked in and how can how can you sort of maintain that focus? It's a lot of times it's just your attitude, your self-talk, yeah. um, you know, how you foster that sort of self-belief. That's difficult for a lot of people to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and Barnes <laughs> Barnes said post game on Tuesday, he said I, I you know, I'm paraphrasing, he said I, I picked a real bad time to start sucking. <laughs> Which, you know, I mean, he's absolutely right. Right. Well, there's um, probably no good time for it. But if you're doing no. it in June and you kind of write the ship in mid-July, then then people are feeling a lot better about it because they're saying, well, you you know, you struggled, you figured it out. Now we're all set. It's funny that you mentioned June because I went back to that month in 2019 for the example mm. uh, where something like this has happened to Matt Barnes before. Uh, in June 2019, he made 15 appearances, which is way too many. Right. Got overused. I remember Alex Cora at the time saying we probably ran him out there too much. Yeah. I mean, that's that's every other day when you think about it. They're playing close games. Right. He was one of the guys at the end of the bullpen, and, and it was, you know, we need to keep giving him the ball. He's one of our best relievers. Right. I think he had a 104 ERA in the postseason in 2018. The guy's proven himself. He can be good. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a 969 ERA in June 2019. It was brutal. Uh, The last appearance, I think, was in a London game against the Yankees where he got cuffed in in that as well. The rest of the season, he threw in 33 games. He had a 2-4-3 ERA. Wow. So there is precedent here for him being able to turn it around. Uh, And there was certainly still time over the last 35 games for him to turn it around before this team uh, potentially appears in a postseason. There, There is time. Um, you know, but you, you wonder, you know, the conversations that he's going to have with Alex Cora, with Dave Bush, the pitching coach. Um, you know, maybe it goes further than that. Maybe he talks to some of their pitching development guys, some of their analytics people in the front office. Maybe they look at, you know, pitch shaping and you know, how the ball's coming out of his hand. And, you know, maybe his arm angles change by a degree. Just the little things. They're going to break all these things down on video. Right. They're going to study him, you know, to the ends of the earth to, to try to figure out what's going on here. Um, you know, because I think when players struggle, it's no different than, you know, when you might be struggling in your personal life. You want answers. You want some sort of solution that you, you can work towards. Right. You want something to hold on to here and say, hey, yes. here, here, here's a path forward, so to speak. But, you know, Bill, uh, you and I have been pretty uh, critical of the Red Sox coming uh, uh, when, when it came to the trade deadline. So, you know, he, here's an example, I think, that if they had gone out and gotten another bullpen arm, mm-hmm. then they, uh, A, maybe would not have needed to use Matt Barnes as much as they did, and B, if he still hit the, hits the skids, maybe then there is that other person that you point to and say, hey, let's give this guy a shot and we'll put, we'll put Barnes back, back to the eighth inning where he's certainly done very well in the past. You know, and, and even if, if you wanted to take a, a different tack on that, you could say we didn't need to trade for a ninth inning guy. We could have traded for a reliable sixth inning guy or seventh inning guy. Right. You look at Tuesday night's game. It's nine to three, going into the sixth inning. Josh right. Taylor throws one pitch, gets out of the fifth. Game should be over. Should be over. Right. You go to Martin Perez. He gives up three runs. He gets four outs. Yeah. He's out of the game in the seventh. You go to Hirokazu Sawamura. He gives up two more runs. Yeah. Who who has been pretty good this year? Been fine. Yeah. But he's leaking a little bit here in yeah. the second half. Yeah. Um, you know, had a, a brief scare with his forearm 
uh, recently. Now, they're pitching him two nights later, so obviously they yeah. think he's healthy. But he's lost a little bit of effectiveness here in, in a couple outings. All of a sudden, it's 9-8. to eight. Now you're going to Adam Adovino in, in the eighth, who you know allowed the first man to reach. He got out of the jam. It's his fourth straight scoreless appearance. It, it was a little bit of a roller coaster ride, but yep. the bottom line is the bottom line. It worked. Yep. He was fine. And then you have to go to Barnes in an 11-8 game. It never should have been an 11-8 game. Right. Shouldn't right. have got to that point. Um, you know, so I think a lot of times you, you look at something like this and you say, man, you know, Barnes was trying to blow the game in the ninth and we had to go to Robles and, you know, what a disaster this would have been. It, it's the flying Willendas uh, on the trapeze. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, but I think you go back well before that in games like this. Yep. Where you have a six-run lead with 12 outs left. The game should be over. Right. And that's where... Your two bullpen additions, Hansel Robles and, and Austin Davis, guys who have pitched in, in what my friends and I like to call the touchdown club. <laughs> You're up seven or down seven. Right. And that's when you see them. That's right. the touchdown club. Yeah. And I think, you know, I actually think they both pitched in a game against the Rangers where the Red Sox had the lead. I think it was the first time either one of them had pitched in a game where Boston had the lead. Wow. <laughs> since they've been acquired. Right. You know, right. we're almost a month in. Yeah. Um, you know, these guys had been strictly in the B group. Right. Oh, sure. You're behind. Yeah. You're hoping to catch they're, up. They're boarding the plane last. <laughs> they're trying to keep it right there. <laughs> right. You know, this is Southwest general boarding. This <laughs> right. is not, uh, you know, diamond yes. or platinum numbers no. or, whatever, no. or whatever else in the front. Um, you know, so why couldn't one of those guys have been Ryan Tapera, no. Andrew Chafin, mm-hmm. Tony Watson? You know, all serviceable relievers who moved at the deadline for not much of a price, who could have gotten you three outs in the seventh inning. And if it's still a nine to three game, you know, going to the seventh, going to the eighth, the Red Sox continue to add on. They get that late home run from Kike Hernandez. Now maybe it's eleven to six. Right. And not eleven to eight. Now maybe you can go to Hansel Robles with a five run lead and you think, eh, what's the worst that can happen? You know, is he really going to give up five runs before he gets three outs? <laughs> right. Like, you know, let, let's just run him out there. And if he goes to like 30 pitches or something crazy, we'll, we'll go get him. So, you know, the other thing, too, and this is something that, that we touched on briefly before we uh, before we started recording is, you know, it probably would have helped if they had gotten another uh, legitimate rotation arm, you know, a starter. Because then you have some other options, and I think one of the biggest options you probably would have had was uh, you you could run out Tanner Houck from the bullpen, who has shown to be very good in this first or second time against a batter. You know, and and, and this is one of the things that that I think you know, we touched on in an earlier podcast, but uh, but I think it's it's become even more clear now, at least to me anyway, um, that this roster would be best served if Tanner Houck had joined Garrett Whitlock as a sort of super reliever. Hmm. coming out of the bullpen um you know if you would use those two guys as twin guns coming in um you know multi-inning options you know guys who could bridge you from the fifth to say the seventh or the eighth eighth, yeah twice a week um you know two guys who really have have been good in their time whitlock's been superb very good yeah uh you know whitlock bailed them out um, in the Monday game against the Rangers, he threw two and two thirds to finish. They brought him on when Barnes faltered in the ninth. Yep. Uh, <laughs> great anecdote about Whitlock in the tenth inning. He allows the inherited runner to score. Um, Texas takes a four to three lead, and he's cursing himself in the dugout. And, and I think it was Nathan Evaldi says, "Dude, relax. 
that guy's supposed to score. <laughs> He's on second base. He's on to second begin base with, with right. no outs. Right. Like you know, you, you're not supposed to strand him there every single time. Yeah. Um, you know, sure enough, Whitlock goes out in the eleventh and, yep. and strands the runner. Yep. Travis Shaw hits a walk off grand slam. Right. But that just speaks to the the personal standards that that, that guy has set. Absolutely, uh, he's been outstanding. You look at Tanner Houck, and we can talk about his his service time and uh, the way he's been shuttled back and forth right. to Worcester yeah. on paper. Yeah. Um, he's been on the 495 uh, Express right? over the last two months <laughs> or so. But if you look at Whitlock in terms of what's happening in games, first and second time through a lineup, first time through 601 OPS, mm. second time through 683, third time through 1318. Yep. All right, so you're looking at him the first time through and you're thinking, this guy's an eraser. 601 is brutal. Right. Uh, I mean, that's like a replacement level backup middle infielder. You know, who, who plays like three different positions and comes in in the eighth inning. It's basically like Skip Schumacher or somebody like that. You know, <laughs> right. someone who Tony La Russa had with the Cardinals when he was winning all those World Series. It's okay. like, all right, we need to make a double switch because I'm obligated to make one. Uh, and, and so Skip's going to second, and yeah. this guy's going to left, and this guy's going to right, and the pitcher is now batting third. Okay. You know, just because I can't right. do it, I'm right. going to do right. it. Right, and I'm a genius. Um, you know, but, but just imagine if, if you're getting Hauk and Whitlock. For six outs at a time, yeah, four that, times a week. That would that would have been tremendous, and and uh, certainly would have shortened the game. It would have uh, kind of lessened the the uh, the burden on on the back end of the bullpen and and the pitching staff too. Knowing, hey, you know what, all I have to do is give you four or five solid innings, right? And and my job is done because we're going to have essentially two or maybe three kind of lights out guys coming in after me, you know? Now, the the only way to do that, obviously, would have been if you traded for a starting pitch. Right. Which, you, which they did not do. Right, right. If you had another legitimate arm to come in and be and add to the rotation. But but the guys you would have looked to piggyback, I, I think, would have been Eduardo Rodriguez, uh, because partly because he's been ineffective, partly because he's thrown this many innings coming off a year where he threw zero. Right. There was no guarantee that he was going to reach September. We, I, I think we all wondered what he was going to look like physically yep. at, at this point. And partly to piggyback Chris Sale, who you know comes back from Tommy John surgery after two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's trying to jump into the heat of a pennant race in, in August. You know that they're looking at three more years on his contract uh, and a potential option year on top of that. He mm-hmm. is a long-term investment in terms of this club. Right. So if you're looking at him now and thinking, well, they're going to come out and they're going to start driving him, you know, 100 miles an hour right away. You know, the, the old saying about when you take a sports car off the lot, you've got to run the engine in a, a <laughs> right. little bit, you break right? it in, sure. You know, you're, you're not yeah. just going to come out and all of a sudden do 150 in a drag race when you have 30 yeah. miles on it. That's that's not recommended. Right. Um, you know, so Chris Sale, you, you would think he's going to be eased in. So you're going to have more outs to get from the bullpen on days that he starts. Right. Those two guys would have slotted in, I think, very nicely behind those two hmm. uh, and then certainly you know any other time as needed if they get a couple days of rest three days of rest right you know let's say Nick Pavetta goes short one night he throws five innings uh, maybe you want to pull back on Nathan Avaldi to make sure he gets through the whole season without going to the IL mm-hmm. um, he's been durable so far yep. and been really good for them um, you know but maybe you want to make sure that he's there for October if you have designs on a postseason so maybe you take a start where he's up Six nothing, six one, and you say, "Hey Nathan, yeah, five innings enough tonight. Right, eighty pitches. We're we're good. Whitlock hasn't thrown in three or four days. He's going to come in behind you. We've still got Hauk for two days if we need him behind Sale. Yeah, they don't have that luxury now, and, right. and they also didn't add something in the bullpen. Two pieces who you could say, 
okay, these guys have the sixth and the seventh, and we feel really confident in a game that we lead. Sure. Three to one, four to one. We're going to put these guys out there. Um, you know, so I, I just think that as configured, their pieces would have fit together much better if Hauk and Whitlock were sort of in those super reliever roles. That's not what we have. We have Hauk in the rotation. He threw four and two-thirds innings on Tuesday. Josh Taylor got him out of the fifth. But I think it's pretty clear the way that they're going to manage him, uh, very similar to what the Rays did with Blake Snell in the World Series, Mm. to to their detriment uh, in 2020, where he's shoving and they pull him third time through because of his numbers. Um, I think that you had a practical use as the Red Sox for an extra starter and then to go to Hauk coming out of the bullpen in that role. For sure. Um, so you touched on Chris Sale, so we should we should uh, spend a few minutes on that. So all, all, all season long we've been saying the Red Sox can't be relying on Chris Sale. They can't expect Chris Sale to show up and be the Chris Sale of a few years ago. Well, so far anyway, in his two appearances, 10 innings, 13 strikeouts, he picked up two wins. He's pitching to a 1.80 ERA now. The big caveat here, Bill, is that his two opponents so far, I believe, have been the Baltimore Orioles and the Texas Rangers. Are, are they not major league teams, they are, Bill Corey? They are major league teams. How dare you, They sir? are major league teams, but in, in some ways, it's kind of an extension of his rehab. And uh, his third opponent uh, will be, I believe, tomorrow night, will be the Minnesota Twins. Yes. So, hey, it's great. These All these games count, and it's probably better that he starts off off against kind of the uh, the lambs that rather than the lions boy the lambs um, is right but i gotta say he's looked really good yeah it's very encouraging yeah uh his velocity is where you expect or hope it would be pretty much getting, it's okay getting close i mean when i say that what i mean is that somebody who's coming off tommy john surgery right it's not he's not throwing what he was throwing five years ago but he's kind of not in a He's not in a bad spot with it. It's not ninety. It's okay. He's he's still he's got he's got the governor on it a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. But but again, maybe he doesn't really have to go to that gear quite yet. That's what you hope. You know, against these against these guys. So here's Chris Sale pitching well, mm-hmm. uh, probably becoming the ace of the staff or kind of right up there with Evaldi anyway. Let's say one A. Mm-hmm. Um, how important is that for the Red Sox going forward here in these next? Uh, you know, four weeks, five weeks of the season to have a healthy, effective Chris Sale as your number two guy, let's say. Oh, it's massive because, yeah. you know, as they said all along, only one team can add Chris Sale. And, right. And that's that's us. Yeah. Um, you know, and certainly you, you hoped that he would come back and, and be healthy first and foremost, mm-hmm. effective secondly. Yeah, so far. Um, you know, I, I the velocity is... A tick down. It's mm-hmm. still workable. You see 96 every once in a while when he right. really feels like reaching back. Right. He says there's more there. It's there, right. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see, you know, down the stretch or if he gets some elite opponents or maybe he gets in a, a visiting stadium and gets a little juiced up in, in a, <laughs> you know, in a big time environment. Right. Uh, that tends to get him flowing a, a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, what, what I'm encouraged by most, I, I would say, Bill, is the command so far. One walk, 13 strikeouts yeah. in, in 10 innings. Um, I think a lot of times when, when you recover from something like that physically, um, you're all the way there in terms of strength, in terms of flexibility, in terms of you know, your abilities in, in that way. Right. All the physical sort of measurements are, are where they should be. But it's not... That's not the same of as can you pitch. Are you precise? Right. 
can you find the zone? Can you miss bats? Um, you know, if you're going to decide we're going to work at 93, 94, because I don't want to say he's saving anything, but, you know, maybe he's just sort of working himself in and getting comfortable. Well, maybe it's, it's the sports car uh, analogy you just used. Right. You don't, you don't want to come out of the gates firing, uh, trying to get to 98. So are we going to so get to the point where, you know, we're throwing 93 and we're in the strike zone and we're getting pounded? Yeah. And we say, oh, man, I'm, I'm not effective. I, I need to ramp I need it up to ramp quick. It up, yeah. um, you know, he's been effective. Granted, against inferior lineups, but still, he's 2-0. and right. He's won his two starts. That's all you could ask of him to do. Um, you know, he's given them certainly a boost in, in terms of, you know, and, and I think we expected this. You know, he's given them a huge boost in terms of morale, in terms of what he means in the clubhouse, uh, you know, what it feels like when you see his name in the lineup card. You, know, you, you really think, hey, we got a chance today. Chris is pitching like right. we're going to win. Right. Um, you know, there, there's really something to that. Um, you know, and I think that's why we we get into psychology so much at the trade deadline. Hey, we're adding. We traded for Joey Gallo and Anthony Rizzo. They believe in us. They mean it. You know, we're going for it. Like that's if you can say that bringing back Chris Sale does that. Yep. You can't come out and say, well, you know, we were tepid at the trade deadline. The players don't care about that. We're just going to move forward. Like they're they're both the same thing. They're both the same set of, of psychological stimuli. Right, right. Um, you know, but Sale coming back and, and being who he's been and, and taking his turn, I, I think is really important. Um, you know, I also think that it's helpful for Nathan Avaldi. He's carried a big load so far this year. Yeah, uh, and, he's and clearly been their best starter. And he's been healthy, which has been great because obviously that's always been the knock on him. But he's been he's taking he's making all of his starts. He's he's uh, he's been durable so far. Let's hope that continues for you know the next thirty five games and beyond because he's I think one of the main reasons why Boston is still in playoff contention is because you 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 know you know you've got Evaldi coming out every five games. No question. You know? He was fantastic on Monday, deserved to win. Yeah. Um, you know, until Matt Barnes had his struggles in the ninth. He was great through seven innings. Um, you know, and the other thing is is you look at Evaldi and you look at the way he's been managed by Alex Cora. Through ninety four pitches in that game. Seven innings. Yep. You could have said, well send him out for the eight. Keep him in, yeah. If it was October he might have. But why do you think he's made all of his starts to this point? Yeah. Coming right. off a strange year where it was stop and start and stop and start and all right now we're going to play this sixty game sprint. Mm-hmm. They've done a great job with him in terms of handling his physical needs, and, and I think you know, a lot of credit you give to Evaldi because if you look at the guy, he's in phenomenal shape. He has been since the time the Red Sox traded for him. Right. Um, he actually looks leaner to me than in the World Series year, and, and huh. I think he probably did that by design. Mm-hmm. Um, you know because big muscles. They tend to break down yeah. a little bit. Um, you know, you don't see a lot of guys who are power lifters who are also uh, baseball players, right. basketball players. You know, those tend to be football players, and and those guys are, you know, physical. It's not as intricate. They're just you know battering, ramming on each other. Yeah. It's like boom, you know, in the <laughs> middle of the line in small spaces. Yeah. Um, I look at Evaldi and I see a guy who who's dedicated himself considerably to his fitness, and, and I look at a Red Sox training staff. And a Red Sox manager who've been very mindful of the fact that they need a full season out of him. They yep. need 30 starts. And they've done everything they can to ensure that he can make 30 starts. Uh, he's been fantastic. So, Bill, one of the recent uh, additions to the Red Sox, it kind of came under the radar and it's sort of paid off uh, big dividends as of late. His old friend Travis Shaw. The mayor. The ma- You know, I have to say, I sh- <laughs> they, sh- they showed him warming up one day like... 
Oh, yeah, they got Travis Shaw back. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, you know, hey, he's hit a couple of bombs. He hit the walk-off Grand Slam, which was fantastic a yeah. couple days ago. Yeah. So uh, is, this their, uh, is this their first base answer for the, for the short term, I guess? I hope not. Pl- <laughs> uh, but, well, you know, if he's going to hit Grand Slams every now and then, why not? But for two games? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, Monday, fantastic. So, so t- remind us how Travis Shaw, our old friend who uh, was here back in 2016, ended up... Uh, oh, my. We went to Milwaukee in the... What trade? Why did uh, he go to Milwaukee? Uh, one of the worst there? trades that Dave Dombrowski ever made. One of the worst transactions ever executed by Dave Dombrowski. He traded Tyler Thornburg. Mauricio Dubon and more to the Brewers for sorry he traded Travis Shaw right Mauricio Dubon and more to the Brewers for Tyler Thornburg Tyler Thornburg that's right that's right uh, Tyler Thornburg yeah. came here was hurt was never healthy right came uh, here with a lot of ex- expectations had a because he, he, he had a 290 ERA the, the year they traded for him could yeah. have been even better than that actually yeah. I know it was sub three yeah um, you know high strikeout guy um, you know nice guy good character good right. clubhouse guy just didn't work he, he had Surgery for thoracic outlet syndrome. Right. Uh, Shaw proceeds to hit 30 home runs each of the next two years yeah. with the Brewers, and you're just like, whoa. <laughs> what happened? You know, what happened here? Right. Um, now, granted, they knew Raphael Devers was coming. Right. And they were going to play him at third base. Right. But bottom line, you just don't give away uh, that sort of production. Yeah. For a relief pitcher, so anyway, who, who breaks down? He, here he is. He's back. He's kind of a nice option to have off the bench uh, for for a first baseman because obviously they've had their struggles at first base. Yeah, uh, you know they still have um, uh, Kyler Sh- uh, Kyle Schwarber, who they're apparently going to try at first base at Allegedly. some point. Allegedly, <laughs> right for his second his his second stint at first base, possibly. Uh, so I mean, they're, they're kind of reaching there, uh, but uh, you know, it's I guess it's good to have options if you got Schwarber and you've got Travis Shaw and you still have Bobby Dahlbeck, you know, and obviously you, you've 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 played other people there too. I guess hopefully that they're thinking, well, one of these guys is going to hit, one of these guys is going to stick, right? One of these guys can steal us enough games to get to Tristan Casas. Please, <laughs> one right. of you, please. That's still, that's still a year or two away. You know, though, please, right? one of you do this, right? Um, you know, but. You look at Shaw, 178 at bats with Milwaukee this year. He hit six home runs. Yeah, he hit two in his first six yeah. with with Boston. He probably won't hit another one all year. Right? As John Sterling likes to say <laughs> to Susan Waldman, you can't predict baseball, <laughs> right. Susan. Uh, you know, in the Yankees booth, you'll you'll yeah. hear that one on a nightly basis. Um, you know, but yeah, Shaw hit the walk off grand slam on Monday. It's yeah, you know, it's a great story. It's yeah. something Boston needed. You can't lose two out of three to Texas. Right. I mean, they've waved the white flag on the season Absolutely. a long time ago. Yeah. Um, you know, and Boston is in a spot now in the race where they no longer control their own destiny. They need other teams to lose. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they need to take care of their own business. Um, you know, and that means, as we said on the last podcast, when the Orioles come here, you have to sweep them. They did. Yeah. When the Rangers come here, you pretty much have to sweep yeah, them. You pretty, you At pretty much have, minimum, you, you better win two out of right, three. Right. I mean, you have to go into these, uh, to these series with, with these weak teams pretty much with the expectations that we have to win every game here. Every game. And every now and then, if you slip up and you lose one game, okay. But you, you pretty much have to win every game. Win the series at bare minimum. Because you, chances are you're not going to win every game when you're facing the, the Rays or the Yankees. You know, you hope that you can at least split or take two out of three in those. And so you need to make those make up those losses against these weak teams. That's right. And, and so you're, you're looking at their schedule later on. You, know, you still have a trip to the White Sox. You have a trip to the Mariners in September, which all of a sudden has become interesting. Yeah, Seattle all of a sudden is sort of making a bid for a wild card. 
you know, you've still got a couple series left with the Rays, who have been a total pain in the butt yeah. to this point and, and look like they're going to win the division. Yep. Uh, you still have the Yankees left, who, who have pulled into that number one wild card spot. Um, you know, all of a sudden the Yankees will never lose again. They've won 11 <laughs> straight. Right. Uh, they have a two and a half game lead on Boston to yep. host the wild card game. Um, you know, and they've been fantastic. Yep. Uh, you know, you, you saw it firsthand when Boston played them head to head. You know, just couldn't deal with them. Um, you know, and, and, and you're looking at. Uh, the race in the AL and and Seattle seven and three in their last ten. Oakland has lost four in a row. The first three of those were in gut punch fashion. Uh, the Giants got them for a pair of late two run homers, and then Lou Trevino melted down in the ninth inning on Monday, and and they lost to Seattle. Um, you know, so you're you're dealing with fine margins now with 35 games left. Um, but if you're Boston, you need to bank these games against. Baltimore, right. Texas, the Twins. You know, these need to be games that you take advantage of. They're, they're not wants anymore. They're no, needs. Right. And, and the schedule makers have given you some opportunity. Yes, you they ha- have. You, you, know, you, you do see the Indians, and you do see uh, um, the Orioles again. I mean, you, you've got some, some series where you really should look at those and say there's, there's three wins there. Absolutely. I, I mean, you're looking at the <laughs> Orioles. Can we can we get to the can we get to the portion of the podcast where we dump on the Orioles because it seems like we do that apparently, every week. Apparently we're there, so uh, so go ahead. Have the Orioles? They haven't won since the last time we've dumped on them. The Orioles <laughs> enter Wednesday with a 19 game losing streak. Unbelievable! Oh my god! Think about that, right? Yeah, that's that. How do you how do you lose nine? So they they are they playing tonight? Uh, I mean, they must be. Yeah. Right. So so they can. Uh, are they playing tonight? Are they losing tonight? <laughs> <laughs> so that they could they could lose twenty in a row, twenty in a row. Oh my God! An eighth of their season, twelve percent of their season. And we promise we'll never do math on the podcast. But that's that's easy off the top. Of my it head. almost seems impossible because you impossible. figure somehow you're going to walk into a win. You're you going to have one starter pitch well. You're going right. to have some guy run into a three run homer right. at, at an opportune time. Right. You know you're going to have an opposing pitcher get hurt, walk off the mound hurt, some starter, and you're going to run into. a a bullpen game where they have to get 23 outs and they have a couple guys who are ineffective and you win 6-5 oh. something like that right, right you know you you lose 19 in a row i mean and and the crazy thing is you know this can only happen in american sport because we don't have promotion and relegation you, you get to <laughs> right. we have the franchise model you get to keep your team for as long as you want right it really doesn't matter they have to pry it out of your cold dead hands <laughs> um you know and, and in some cases like if you're the mets and you're bankrupt the league will loan you money to make payroll um, you know, that's what Bud Selig was doing for the Wilpons after they get uh, swindled by Bernie Madoff. Right. The Mets should have been forced to sell the team. The owners were insolvent. Yep. But they were friends with the commissioner yep. and they it's got all to who you the know, franchise. Bro. It's all who you know. Um, you know, the Orioles should be forced to sell the team. I mean, this is ridiculous. And, and what's crazy to me, Bill Corey, <laughs> is uh, I put out a tweet that, that said, you know, what the, what the Orioles are doing right now is is shameful and and if i was one of their fans i, I would be incensed like yeah. you you you're intentionally willfully putting a non-competitive product i mean on the field they are 38 and 86 but right. they have like 38 games to play they're going to clearly lose 100 games easily right all you got to do is lose 14 more they, it almost seems like they could do that in two you know two weeks at this point but uh it, it really is because you know and we've done this before and we don't have to do it again but you know the Orioles are a long standing proud franchise with many great players and hall of famers and how does this get to be this bad for as long as it's been it's been 
what, three, four years where they've just been doormats? The, the shameful thing for me is that <clears throat> this has become acceptable. And then I had some members of the Orioles fan base coming back at me on Twitter saying, well, this was the plan and I'm happy with it. Because we've had top draft picks, we're clearing payroll. The division is too hard to win right now. Yeah. Eventually, we'll be good enough and we'll contend. Are you sure about that? Yeah, uh, right. What, what is what is your def- definition of eventually will be? How long is eventually? And what does good enough to contend mean? I mean, uh, nibbling at the fringes of a wild card, is that what you mean? Like, you're, you're certain that Adley Rutschman, who's you know one of the top prospects in the sport, you're certain he's going to be a 10-time All-Star in Baltimore? Right. Like, you know that to be true? No, you don't know that. Prospect development is is an educated guess. We've talked about this before on the podcast. Sure. You can think that certain guys are going to be great, and, and they show a certain level of performance in your minor leagues, and, and you have every confidence with all of your baseball experience and, and, and your gravitas to say, yes, that guy's going to be a, a player. Right. But you can't be certain of that. And you definitely don't know whether or not he's going to be good enough to beat the Yankees, the Red Sox, you know, the Blue Jays. Uh, right. You know, other teams the in the AL. Right. <laughs> you know, but you look at, people look at other franchises like the Rays, like the Astros, who were dreadful purposely for a period of years, mm-hmm. who said, we're going to have a top five draft pick for four or five years in a row, and it's going to be a top five draft pick for all 40 rounds of the draft. And eventually we're going to hit on some cost-controlled guys who we're going to be able to bring through, and our major league team's going to be good. Yeah. So you're putting in an immense amount of faith in your front office that not only are they going to draft the right guys, but they're also going to keep the right guys, not trade them you know, for veterans yeah, at some the, point. There's a lot that has to go right and a lot that could easily go wrong. You're, you're destroying your attendance. You're killing any chance you have to sign a free agent mm-hmm. uh, of any kind. Your payroll is going to be nil. It's a sh- it, you're, you're looking at what the owners are doing. If you're, if you're looking at it and you're not content with it, you see it as a form of a long con. Right. You know, and con might be too strong a word. Yeah, yeah. But they are selling you possibility. They are selling you the chance, hey, in 2025, we're going to be great. Yeah. Don't give up on us. Why should I care? Right. <laughs> right. You, why? Yeah, that's right. That's, that's four seasons from now. So, so we were supposed to basically just happily accept last place for three or four more years and, and for, the, for the promise or the hope that we're going to be competitive. For the hope. Not even right. the certainty for the hope. Yeah. And, and you're going to tell me that you know, prospect development being what it is, so difficult, so many guys don't make it. Yeah. You're going to tell me that all of a sudden you're going to have a team all at once that has 20 homegrown guys on it who are all great. <laughs> you know, that, yeah. That's essentially what you're selling right, me. Right. It's 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 sort of banking on lightning in a bottle. It's it's tough to it, exactly it's certainly it it's certainly tough to kind of uh, think of it as a as a likely scenario, but hey, you know, that's that's unfortunately be, been the uh, been the strategy for a lot of teams as of late and and you know, it's sort of the I think part of it is the have and have nots of baseball have made it easier, I think. For some, for some of the those teams to look at it that way, because they can just just throw in the towel immediately and say, "Well, there's no way that we can compete with the Yankees or with the Red Sox or with the Chicago Cubs or with the Los Angeles Dodgers." So that just means we're going to suck for about three or four years, and you have to live with it. <laughs> we're going to suck on our own timetable, right? <laughs> and we're actually going to try air quotes yeah. on our own timetable. Um, and and I think you know largely this is going to go towards shutting down baseball in 2022. I, I think this is largely going to be one of the issues that is fought over at the, uh, the, the you collective know, when the, bargaining. Yes, yeah. when the collective bargaining agreement expires. Thank you. I almost said the CBT. 
I had that in my head. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you had a, a story in The Athletic by Ken Rosenthal and, and Evan Drellick, I think it was last week. Uh, owners are proposing new salary limits with a floor of $100 million, which about a third of the league, I think, is under right now. Mm-hmm. But with what they are presenting as something else, what it really is is a new first threshold of the CBT, which is $180 million. That's $30 million less. Wow than the current one. Right, right. So you're looking at it and you're thinking they're proposing some sort of revenue sharing or tax over $180 million that goes to other teams. It's a way to spend less hmm. for the top teams in the sport. Ah. And you're going to force the bottom teams to spend more. Spend and you're going to try to present that to the players and say, look, all these other teams are going to spend however many hundreds of million right. more. So even though the really rich teams don't are not going to spend as much, all the, all the sort of teams on the lower rungs and the ladder are going to have to spend more. You, you know, Bill, I would say this, though. If that forces teams to not take revenue sharing and stick it in their pocket and actually spend on the product on the field... I, I'm good with that part of it. They're still going to stick you know? it in their pocket. <laughs> they're just going to spend to a hundred million, yeah. and their profit margin is going to be lessened by you know twenty, right? Whatever right, it is, right. they're still going to make money yeah. on the team. But the the point is that it really should not. Uh, they, they really should not allow some of these teams to spend as little as they spend. What What do you never see? What do you never see? And and uh, now I'm going to pick on the race. We're, we've reached that point <laughs> in the podcast. The first place the race, race. The first place race. Stu Sternberg says, I need a ballpark. We're in St. Pete. That's why we have no attendance. If yeah. we were in Tampa, we'd have more people. Right, if, right. if we didn't play in the trop, we'd have more people. Um, you know, I'd spend more on payroll. Uh, you know, we wouldn't necessarily have to do it this way. We could bring in a free agent. We could bring in a starting pitcher. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we could trade an ad salary. We wouldn't, we wouldn't deal for Nelson Cruz and then trade Rich Hill because we need to balance the books. Mm-hmm. Rich Hill, an effective starting pitcher. We wouldn't trade Diego Castillo because he's getting to the end of his player control and his arbitration is going to cost too much and we don't want to pay him. We're just going to bring somebody through. What do you not see Stu Sternberg do? Put the team up for sale. Mm. <laughs> if he's this financially if that, strapped, right? If it's so bad, if he's struggling that much financially, there's probably lots of people lining up to buy a major league baseball franchise. Why isn't he selling the team? Right, it's worth a billion dollars. It's be- right because it's still certainly very profitable. Because for it him. still makes money for him. Of course, because it's still going to appreciate in value. Because there's still money that he's making. Of course, on that team. Yeah, and you could say that for the Orioles. You could say that for the Pirates. You could say that for the Royals. Yep, all the teams at the bottom of the league who have no payroll and no intention to spend, who are just tanking their way to the bottom, they're all making money on their teams. Right. right. All but one of these franchises is worth a billion dollars. I think the Marlins are the only one who are not worth a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. The Yankees are worth $5 billion. Yeah. Major League Baseball as an entity is worth you know dozens of billions um, you know, when you combine all their franchises and, and all that wealth. So... Yeah. You know, I just I look I look at Baltimore and I just think it's so disingenuous and and it is amazing to me. I think it's one of the greatest charades in sports that owners have convinced fans to argue against them spending money <laughs> at a certain time. Right. Yeah. I, I think it's Tr- one of the greatest cons they've ever right. played. Trust us, uh, you want us not to be good for a few years because what, we're going to be really good down the road. What do you mean we should sign this veteran guy three years for $36 million? That's dumb. We're not going to win anyway. Mm. Don't you want to go watch that guy play? Yeah, well, like, the, isn't it important to have like an actual guy who you want to go watch? By not signing, you're pretty much guaranteeing you're not going to win. You're guaranteeing right? you're going to lose 100 games. So uh, we're going to make the payroll, you know, 50 million. 
Yeah. We're going to let everyone expire, and then we're going to bring up the kids, and maybe we'll sign one guy in free agency. But otherwise, we're just not going to care for a period of years. It's just it's ridiculous. It offends my competitive sensibilities. It does. Well, you know, at the risk of us getting too far down the road of uh, doing math, uh, let's uh, let's talk about baseball, so to speak, again. And one person that we said we want to touch on and we haven't yet is Hunter Renfro. Sorry for the tangent. That's okay. Sorry. And, and uh, so Renfro and uh, and uh, I believe it was uh, Garrett Whitlock uh, were identified by you as probably uh, Hyam Bloom's two biggest or among his best decisions as uh, as head of baseball for the Red Sox. And it's hard to, it's hard to argue with that. Renfro at this point, uh, you know, he had uh, kind of started slow, but uh, hit 25 home runs. He's he's uh, he's got an OPS of, of over 800. Been playing a very good defensive outfield. Uh, you know, a nice surprise for the Red Sox, who I don't think m- many fans had that high, sort of high expectations for. I, I think when you looked at when the Red Sox brought in High and Bloom and, and they said, you know, we wanted to be a little more creative and, and we want to do things, you know, a little differently, maybe a little bit towards the Rays' way of doing things, finding value in the margins in, in, in a certain way. Yep. Um, I, I look at three moves that he's made and, and I think they stand above all others. Uh, the first was the Pavetta trade. You get Pavetta and Seabold for Workman and, and Hembry. Uh, I mean, Pavetta's a useful starter. Seabold is a guy who's pitching in AAA and, and has a chance to be here next year. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a heist. It, it is. It's a trade deadline heist. A, a great move by High and Bloom. Right. Uh, Garrett Whitlock, Rule 5 guy from the Yankees, who, granted, was coming off Tommy John. Yeah. I'm not sure New York knew that he would be this good. I, I certainly would say Boston didn't know that he would be this no, good. No, but my God, he's, he's turned into uh, such a reliable bullpen arm. And to get it from the Yankees, too, right? Chris Sale had a great line. Uh, I think it was on the Jimmy Fontelathon on WEI. If, if folks haven't given, um, you know, text to K-Cancer and give 25 bucks for, mm-hmm. for a clinical trial. Uh, Chris Sale had a great line. I, I think he said on the telethon on, on, uh, on Tuesday, he said, the Yankees got 40 guys better than this <laughs> on, on their 40 man roster right. they really do no <laughs> like there's no way they clearly didn't know right um right. you know so claiming him in, in the rule five draft w- was superb and then hunter renfro who went non-tendered yeah last winter yeah. um you know they signed him to a one-year deal for 3.1 million dollars you have him under team control for another two years he doesn't hit free agency until 2024 right. Uh, he's been fantastic for, for you. Um, you. You look at what he's been able to do at the plate. His strikeout rate, you, you go back to 2019, which was his last real full season with the Padres. He played 140 games. Mm-hmm. According to Fangraphs, uh, he had a 1.9 more that year. Right now, he's at 1.7 for Boston with 35 games left. Wow. So he's going to surpass that. Yep. Um, more valuable than he was in his best season to date. Yep. Um, his strikeout rate from that year is down 9%. He's down from 31% to about 22. His on-base percentage is up from that year. He's yep. only 289. He's about 315 right now. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's still you know an element of feast or famine to him. Yeah. You know he's going to make some outs. He's going to strike out. Uh, occasionally he's going to struggle against right-handed pitching. He he is not the quote-unquote complete player. You know a guy who's going to be an all-star or anything like that. Right. But you put him in the middle of a lineup, and you've got a few other guys to drive that lineup. Martinez, Bogarts, um, Devers. This is a really good ancillary piece to have. Sure. Uh, you know, and you look at what he's done, particularly since May 1st, and, and now in August he has 10 home runs. Yeah. 
in the month. Um, you know, he, he's been great for them. Uh, you look at the 14 outfield assists, I think that leads the American League. He's been very good defensively in a, in a difficult right field at home. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, what a find by High and Bloom. A, a great signing. Um, you know, somebody who you, you wonder how they'll manage going forward. Um, you know, I would imagine going into this offseason – you you have a choice. You tender him a contract or you trade him while his value is ridiculously really high. high. Yeah. yeah. Uh you know, but he's been great for them. Uh you know, two home runs on Tuesday night, uh, you know, and, and help save them from what would have been a, a really embarrassing loss. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Bill, uh before we wrap it up here, uh with the Red Sox uh, sitting in third place, uh the question is can they uh do you feel that they can kind of pull themselves out of these, this recent, uh, well, I don't want to say nosedive because they've certainly been winning some series that they, should, they shouldn't they should be winning, but they're not sitting on top of the division. Uh, they haven't been since the break. Um, how do you feel about the Red Sox in terms of getting into the wild card? Or, you know, can they play themselves back into the divisional race, you think? Uh, I think Malays is a personal favorite. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's one of my... Uh one of my go-tos. Always with the French words. Uh, you. Uh, well, you know, every <laughs> once in a while. I, I got to show, show the listeners I'm, I'm a little cultured, uh, just a little bit. Um, no, I, I think the division's gone. You're six and a half behind the Rays. You yeah. only have 35 games left. Yeah, that, that's, um, that's, a, that's, a tough, that's a tough climb. You know, we promise to do minimal math on this podcast. <laughs> but uh, Yeah, know. that means you have to win almost every game, and they have to, they have to lose at a clip they have not been losing it, yet. It means you have to go 25 and 10, and they have to go 18 and 17. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's a lot to ask. Right. Um, you know, because the Red Sox have, have played, they were 63 and 40. They're 72 and 55 now. Yeah. Um, you know, so you, you, you do that out and that's nine and 15 in the last 24. Yeah. Uh, they're not just going to turn that and go 25 and 10. Yeah. That, that's, that's not going to happen. Even with Chris Sale. Even with Chris Sale. <laughs> I, I, I just, I just don't see that happening. Yeah. Um, but you can play well enough, I, I think, mm-hmm. to stay ahead of Oakland and, and Seattle. I, I think it's reasonable to, to expect that. Uh, Oakland obviously had a big loss with Chris Bassett, their right-handed pitcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we hope he's healing well. He got hit in the face with a line drive. Oh, I know. That was awful to see. Awful to see. Um, Facial fractures. Thankfully, uh, no vision loss in his right eye, right. Which, which was what they were concerned about. Right. Um, you know, but one of the scariest moments in all of sports. Uh, yeah, when you see something like that, obviously the first thing is: is there any lasting physical damage? Yes. And it doesn't doesn't appear like there will be. Right. Uh, but the second thing after this is, you know, is he able to get back on the mound with yes. the same kind of confidence and focus? Yes. I mean. You know, you something like that happens to you, and different guys it it affects differently. You certainly hope he's able to get back on the horse, so to speak, and go after it just the way he he always has. But that that's just got to take some kind of toll. No, it's terrifying, and, and as a pitcher, it's something that you know could happen every time you throw a pitch to the plate. Right, right. Uh, you know, but to to have it happen like that, and and you know, for the A specifically to have it happen to one of their best starters, it, it just it terrifying. You know, it's it. amazing, and and I don't want to jinx anything. It's amazing we don't see this more because I know. you know the, the the pitchers throw so hard these days, and the bat the ball coming off the bat is screaming these days faster than it's ever been probably, and it's only sixty feet away. You know, and it's, there's only a limited amount of you know. Uh, of reaction time and, and it's it's, uh, it's fortunately we don't see it more yeah you know the, the one of the long-standing jokes in baseball and it's it's half serious but you know pitchers are athletes too 
Well, yeah. Uh, you know, we, yeah. just because we don't play a position and we don't hit and we don't run the bases, that, that doesn't mean we're not athletic. Right. Um, you know, and, and that's sort of the, the push-pull between pitchers and position players, and, and it's good-natured for the most part. But you are reminded the, you know, sort of limited number of instances like that you are reminded that yes, pitchers are athletes too. Yeah, they get the glove up. They can get out of the way. Um, you know, they can turn their body in some way. Adam Ottavino got hit with a line drive the other night off his left shoulder. Right. Um, saw it coming. Was able to turn. Hmm. Balls hit a hundred miles an hour. Right. From you know, it, by the time he delivers his pitch, he's fifty-five feet away. Right. And you oftentimes you're not in, in, in a very good body position to make a play on the ball. Right. You're twisted away. Your you know your your back is to the whatever it is. But it's it's just it's a reminder that your your brain is so amazing and and your reaction times are so incredible. The the human body is just such an amazing, mysterious, wonderful organism. Yep. That if I was to throw something at your face, you would move. Yeah, of course. In 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 the blink of an eye, yeah. you would move, not even thinking. Right. You would just do it. That reaction. Um, and you look at these guys, and they're in the prime of their careers, and the primes of their lives, and they're as sharp as they could ever be. Right. Physically, mentally, emotionally, you hit a line drive back, and nine times out of ten, more than that, even they're yep. going to get out of the way. Thankfully. Yep. Um, so Chris Bassett gets hurt. That's a big loss for Oakland. Um, you know, as I said, they, they lost, you know, three crushing games, two to the Giants uh, and one to the Mariners. Those are the types of games that leave a mark mm. as you come down the stretch. If you think about Oakland, if they just won two out of those three, they're even with the Red right, Sox. Right, right. Diff- right. Now, all of a sudden, you're two games behind with 30 games left. If there's 60 games left, it's, eh, we have time. Yeah. You yeah. start to shrink the schedule once, a little bit once now. You get, once you get under like 25 games, man, it's tough. You get to September yeah. and it's like, ooh, yeah. you know, we're running out of time. That's right. And now Boston starts to win maybe a little bit. Maybe right. they stabilize here. Maybe right. they get it going down the stretch. You know, you win on a night they lose. Oakland's like, oh, man, now we lost the game. I mean, yeah. just look what the Yankees are doing right now. Right. By winning 11 straight, look at the pressure that they put on the Red Sox. You know, not only beating them head-to-head three times, yep. but just what but they've co- done. Yeah, continuing to win, obviously. Uh, I mean, Boston is playing the Rangers. You win two out of three, it's not good enough. I mean, the Yankees are still have a legitimate shot at the division. They're four games out. you got 35 uh, to play. Now, look, it's not easy, but... Four games is not six and a half games out, you know. No, and and you can no. you can still make the case where if they go into Tampa Bay and sweep them, they're right there, you know. Yeah, the the Yankees are. I mean, they're they're a fascinating case study. They pitch very well. Uh, Aroldis Chapman's had a really hard time in in the bullpen, and obviously Zach Britton just went on the IL. He's hurt again, um, but they've pitched very well. Yep, uh, their starters have been good. Um, you know, and I and, and I still, you know, I, I understand that it's psychological and you can't quantify it. But I still, I go back to the deadline, and I look at the fact that the Yankees were aggressive, and and whether that was Brian Cashman trying to save his job, or you know, whether that was we've already spent all our money, we we may as well. You know, I think Cashman had a quote the other day that I saw. He said, "If you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound. Right. We, we may as well go for it." Um, you know, I I just think that. You make moves like that at the deadline, it fosters a different type of belief in your clubhouse. Yeah, it sends a different type of message. Yep. It says, hey, guys. We believe in you. Right. I still think we're good. Yep. We still expect something from you. We're not excusing this performance. Um, we think this is a playoff team. We still think you can get there. Go out and do it. We've added two critical pieces. To that point, it almost matters less what Rizzo and Gallo do on the field. Yep. It matters what it brings out of the other guys. Look what Giancarlo Stanton's doing right now. Yeah. 
this is the best he's played in, in I don't know how long in, in a Yankee uniform. DJ LeMahieu all of a sudden has right. decided he's going to hit like he did the last couple of years. <laughs> right, who's been dormant all year. You know, he had a big home run in Atlanta the other night. Um, you know, look at the young pitchers they brought through. Luis Heal the other night pitching against the Red Sox. Looked fantastic. Mm-hmm. Jordan Montgomery's been a useful starter for them. Um, you know, I, I just and, – and you've already committed to Garrett Cole – why waste a prime year of Garrett Cole? You're paying him $36 million a year. Absolutely. Are you going to tell me, hey, you know, we'll just waste a Garrett Cole season when he's 29 or 30? Why, why bother? That's, that, that's probably the, the most frustrating thing is if you, you sign somebody to a mega deal like that and then all of a sudden you're a seller. And you stink. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Like, it's so, like, what's the point? You could have sucked without him. You know? So long as you have Cole and Stanton on your, on your CBT, you're pot committed. Yeah. You may as well go. Yep. Um, you know, there aren't any rebuilds with, with contracts like that on your books and with Aaron Judge set to come off you have a decision to make on him Mm. Um, you know you've got some guys who you're going to have to make serious salary decisions on over the next two or three years so you may as well go for it Um, you know and I I just think that New York and and Atlanta as well are are the two prime examples I mean Atlanta loses Ronald Acuna who is by far their best player Um, they have injuries galore in the outfield and they decide to make four or five trades completely rebuild their outfield now they're leading the nl east yeah yeah really remarkable really the mets went into a slide yeah all of a sudden the phillies had a little surge and now they've leveled off Mm -hmm. and here comes atlanta in first place in the nl east and and you look and you say well you know they lost acuna so maybe they should have sold why bother you could could have made the case because you can't beat the dodgers you can't beat the padres you can't beat the giants so why buy right that's why why buy because it's what you're supposed to do. That's why they play the game. You're supposed right? to try to compete. Right. It's professional sports. I, I don't want to hear if you think, oh, we can't win. Look at the Giants. The start of the year, did anyone have the Giants winning the NL West? No, of course not. What about going to the deadline? Did anyone have the Giants winning the NL West? No, of course. It was all giant. It was all uh, Padres and Dodgers. The Dodgers are going to catch them. Mm-hmm. The Padres are going to be fine. Mm-hmm. They're going to figure it out. The Giants will end up third in that division. They'll be in a wild card game and they'll lose. Yeah. What's happened since then? The Giants still lead the Dodgers and they added Chris Bryant. Basically said to Brandon Belt, Brandon Crawford, Buster Posey, hey guys, one last ride. Right. We still believe in you. We're right. trying. Right. Kevin Gosman's pitching great. We're trying. Yep. We're going to do this. The Padres lose 11 in a row. They fire their pitching coach. That wasn't supposed to happen, but it did. Mm. What if you're the Giants and you sat on your hands at the deadline and you sort of you know, treaded water or backslid a little right. bit. Right. All of a sudden, the Padres lose, yeah. start losing. You've given away the chance to gap them and essentially clinch a playoff spot at the start of September. Yeah. That's basically where they're at. So I just, I always think that if you're in a position where you are leading a division, leading a wild card race, you have a major market, major payroll flexibility, an owner who's worth billions. <laughs> you should be adding. Absolutely. You should be trying. It doesn't matter if you don't think on paper you can win a World Series that year. You should go for it. Right, right. Well, you know, uh, Bill, let's hope that despite the Red Sox not doing a whole lot at the, at the trade deadline, that uh, with the addition of Chris Sale, with the uh, the uh, addition of uh, Kyle Schwarber, and uh, hopefully maybe uh, a little bit of uh, maybe uh, magic in Travis Shaw's bat, that uh, you know they can sustain themselves to the point where they are still – uh, legitimately in the wild card uh, contention a, a month from now. Mm. Uh, 
if you look at the schedule moving forward, you know they're going to have some they're going to have some opportunities and they're going to have some challenges. I mean, they've got the the Indians, uh, and then they uh, then they go to Tampa Bay, uh, and uh, then they're going to uh, they're going to see the White Sox in in early uh, to mid September. They're going to see. The Yankees, I believe, one more time as well, or are we done with the Yankees? That's the final home series. So that's the of final the year. home series, right? The Late Yankees, September. Right. Yeah. So, so you know, you've got you know, you've got some Orioles and and uh, and Mets and and sprinkled in. So you've got some breathers. But as we've said, if they take care of business against uh, against the uh, the have-nots, then they are going to put themselves in a position where they can certainly. Uh, hold on to that wild card, maybe even get to the top spot in the wild card. So we will right. see. We will see. Bill, it has been uh, a pleasure as usual. Uh, we'll be watching the Red Sox closely here over the next uh, few days to see just where this uh, where this team is going to head down the stretch now that they've got 35 games to play. And we will get together and do this again in about a week. Thanks, Bill. All right.